0: Malcolm Honline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations and joins us for the weekly update here on a Friday morning at JM in the AM. Mister Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Oh, it's good to have you back and uh, to be with you. I appreciate that very much. There is a report; the Wall Street Journal had it that there were key uh, that there was key weaponry rockets that Israel needed during this war with uh, Hamas, and that uh, the United States would not give it. To Israel what could you tell us about this report
1: well there is the report in the Wall Street Journal as you noted there were no weapons that were withheld there is a process that has been implemented that adds a layer of bureaucracy so I would say delay rather than denied Uh, but so far and and during the war I don't believe that any weapons uh, were delayed this is a process that was put in place more recently Uh, Israel and it operates on several levels. One is the prepositioned material. There's a billion dollars worth of weapons that are prepositioned in Israel. Uh, there's also preposition in Korea uh, for use of U.S. troops, but also for our allies. Uh, if in a time of uh, emergency they can uh, draw down and then have to replace uh, those weapons. So Israel, working through the regular channels, uh, did draw down some material. Tank shells, for instance, and other things that they needed during the war. Uh, why they needed it uh, and didn't have enough is another story. I'm sure that will be uh, checked. But here, th- there are two aspects then to the story. One is the tone, the characterizations that they reported of the prime minister, which is certainly inappropriate. Um, he was a prime minister that demonstrated incredible restraint in the execution and prosecution of the war. As well as before, if you remember, 300 missiles fell before his work responded, and the the um, uh, demonstrations that took place last night, the 15,000 people in Rabin Square demanding more actions against rockets and supporting the people of the South, uh, and the general and the polls that show general support for completing the action to removed the threat of rockets and of tunnels, uh, the, uh, reflects the fact that the Prime Minister has has demonstrated restraint. This is an issue I think that members of Congress, when they return, will will be looking at. Although they don't have many days there, uh, the 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 context also is uh, interesting in that the same days we we approved five thousand new Hellfire missiles to to Iraq. All of the issue is about the Hellfire missile, and when. The United States and others keep yelling at Israel to be to use more uh, pinpoint strikes, et cetera. Hellfire is, in fact, a pinpoint instrument in that it can be targeted to to very narrow uh, destinations. So it's ob- obviously of concern. We've been in touch with the administration. They made a statement uh, in yesterday afternoon at the State Department because there are no White House briefings as the president is away.
0: What what uh, what issue is Congress going? What part of this is Congress going to take up when they get back?
1: Well, I think they're going to look at the at the question of whether any weapons uh, is this process delaying the shipment of weapons. They made very clear yesterday in this State Department statement that nothing has been withheld from Israel, and in fact, in Israel, they seem to be downplaying uh, this report. So, whether it's just part of the um, political culture and, uh, that we've seen develop over the months. Whether there is any uh, practical implication is not very clear yet.
0: There are times in the history of the state of Israel where they were really desperate for weaponry and the United States came through, and other times when the U.S. didn't. You're not ready at this point to put this episode anywhere on that scale yet, right?
1: Uh, um, no, and, and because Israelis uh, have not, in, in the statements that, uh, have been forthcoming or indications that they have made. But what is troubling is, is uh, the, the message that this sends to Hamas. If, in fact, Hamas is reading to Wall Street Journal, which I assume they get the, at least through the internet these stories, then for them this is a victory. This is something they can point to and say, look, we, we, we've got, achieved something in that day now. Do not get open, transparent. What is the message to our allies? The whole region is today supporting Israel, except for Qatar and Turkey, and then they again see that that America is taking actions which are hard to to explain, and the fact that this administration has always made the point that the military intelligence security cooperation is a hallmark of of their Middle East uh, policy vis-a-vis Israel, and again we don't know that there has been a fundamental change they say that in many situations in conflict situations they have a special review uh, there's no evidence that the reports that Israel bypassed the, the normal channels they went to the minutes, to the uh secretary uh, to the defense uh, ministry and they they worked out all the deals according to US law so there's no charge about Israel violating it and um, we'll see now how it will play out.
0: While we're on the subject of weapons and, uh, and the Israeli defense system, so the um, the Rafael Corporation says they're very close to uh, weaponry that will be able to uh, knock out mortar shells, they'll be able to detect tunnels. We know how important these are just based on what's happened this summer. How close are they to implementing this technology in Israel?
1: Well, so far, you know, before the war, they said the only technology for dealing with these tunnels was building a moat, which right. I guess is not a modern technology, having been used in the Middle Ages. But the, the new technology that's supposedly under development, which regrettably should have been developed before, um, they say is uh, perhaps months a year away from actual implementation. The, it, it's hard because you have to get in production, you have to test them, you have has to go through a whole process. Uh, uh, There were innovations uh, that were used this time
0: I didn't even know about Never that Never
1: used before.
0: First time. Just revealed. Unbelievable. Israeli made, I assume. <laughs> unbelievable. Um, I had, last Thursday, I was in Kfar Azad and saw some of the machinery that actually destroys the tunnels. You know, they send it to this. It's it just the sophistication level is unbelievable.
1: But much of that was developed during the war. You know, the machine to blow smoke into the tunnels. Remember how long these tunnels are. Right. How dangerous they are. That because you can't send troops in because they're booby-trapped and soldiers died because of it. So they have this huge machine that blows smoke through the tunnel, and it comes out in the entrances. That's how they could then detect where the entrances were.
0: Unbelievable. The whole thing is incredible. Uh, And when you think about it, thousands of rockets. I don't know the exact number since the beginning of the war, but we know it's thousands. And you know what kind of God forbid what kind of casualties there could have been if not for Iron Dome and if not for the sophisticated machinery that you just described?
1: There were there were about thirty seven hundred rockets fired by Hamas, about a like number destroyed by Israel in in Gaza, which means they still have a similar number, about one third right. remaining.
0: Unbelievable. But it, they
1: but they showed a video now of how they continue to produce these M-75 rockets, which can hit, the, let's say, Tel Aviv. Um, and they. they uh, this is part of the underground establishment in Gaza. As you know, that there is a whole underground city with huge facilities, rooms, roads that go network throughout the area, and some of them tied to the tunnels that went into Israel. But uh, this is a whole separate thing, which Israel didn't take out. Um, and the the uh, they show that inside there how they have these production facilities and launching facilities where a hatch opens up, fires and closes, and they put the next rocket in.
0: Unbelievable. I know it's difficult to analyze this, but why do some of these ceasefires last? Others do not. It looks like this one is going beyond the seventy-two hours and likely will last at least through the weekend, and already we've seen how Hamas is ready to let the PA negotiate on their behalf, you know, in certain ways. Why do some of these ceasefires last? And others, of course, we saw, you know, completely evaporate after hours.
1: Well, first of all, it's a matter of control over different groups. You don't have just Hamas. You have ISIS. You have Islamic Jihad, particularly, which has been equipped by Iran, uh, and uh, they will sometimes fire and... Uh, in order to to upset the ceasefire in order to stimulate a response that's one two depends on what they or uh, what their goal is I, I don't believe that this is the end of what of, of the conflict yet as you know they say yesterday today's day forty of the war uh, Israel does not describe it as over the negotiations are in fact just an extension uh, of war as we know from the old saying so the the um The determination about whether this will continue will be dependent upon how much pressure is brought on Hamas internally and externally. And it's not that they are necessarily responsive as a democracy to public opinion, but they know how upset, and there were even manifestations during the war, under the cover of the war. They killed the participants in this. Scores of people were killed as, quote, collaborators. All these numbers now start to come out, and we see the reality. That the number of people killed may have been 1,500 or less. Of that, Israel has identified 900 of them as terrorists. So all of the talk about disproportionality, even the Secretary General of the UN, with whom we met yesterday, um, uh, that these uh, terms are laden with with uh, legal implications war crimes, etc., proportionality has nothing to do with what they say. Proportionality only means how much force you use on a particular target. Mm. Meaning, do you use excessive force? Do you use an atomic weapon to take out a tunnel? Or do you have to resort to other means? Proportionality is not between the number of civilians and the number of military that are killed. And this constant reference, you know, 63 soldiers, 64 soldiers, and 1900 civilians. These are numbers Hamas put out. They're distorted. When anybody who died was included in this, and especially Hamas gave orders that they were never allowed to say, that they weren't civilians. Right. Well, well, they I, told the people this. They told
0: the reporters it. I still uh, hope the U.N. Human Rights Commission is familiar with these guidelines. I hope.
1: Because, they don't care. I, exactly. And the very fact that they can appoint a commission of inquiry that is headed by somebody who has a long history of anti-Israel tirades, uh, calling for Paris, let alone Bibi, to be brought as war criminals... And, and uh, redoing exactly what he did the first time with Goldstone, and Goldstone has criticized the guy, Shabbos, who, uh, or Shabbos, or whatever uh, different pronunciations of his name. He's non Jewish. It's not a Shabbos, Shabbos. Right. Um, that, uh, ha- ha- Goldstone criticized him as, uh, as, un- as biased and unfair in-, in the past, as have many others. So the, the Human Rights Commission doesn't appear to have much interest in anything factual, when it comes to Israel, uh, we haven't seen them yet go after the Assad government or, or Iraqis or, or ISIS or anybody else. Just, of course, only Israel.
0: Yeah, understood. But
1: we, we demanded that there be changes, and uh, I hope that members of the Senate are going to look at U.S. funding and continued U.S. membership in this body, where uh, you know seven resolutions, all of them dealing with Israel, are passed and nobody else, and also with UNRWA and, the, and investigating what. And the U.N. has to investigate how this uh, agency was aborted. that 12,000 employees, mostly from Hamas, and how Hamas really controlled it, they could put their rockets in various school buildings and other facilities, and yet you don't have anybody saying, well, what's the explanation, demanding it, and that UNRWA spokespeople who were on TV and, and in the media were all critics. And now, and, and didn't just report about humanitarian issues, but actually were persecutorial towards Israel. But you just... Now, n- the Foreign Press Association and all the reporters coming out are telling a different story in India and uh, um, uh, Australians and others who, who had first hand accounts, including films, showing them firing from civilian areas. One who was in the Shanti camp with the nine children that the whole world dumped on Israel, and he said, I saw it. It was a Hamas missile that misfired and ended there. 460 missiles fired by Hamas. Ended up in Gaza itself, killing people, causing injury.
0: How many? How many reporters are in this group that have started to expose?
1: Some uh, 32 countries. I mean, it's hundreds of members.
0: They're that. M- a, they're, they're, you know, they're, they're, this is
1: an independent that, body, it's not an Israeli body.
0: No, I understand, just, but there are that well. many who've risked their credentials and risked their lives and risked the opportunity to get back in to Gaza to report? It's that many?
1: Well, not the individuals. The association made the statement. Uh, a few individuals came out right. and saw. told the truth about what they saw. But where did you see the reports that 14% of the rockets, meaning, I think, 475 altogether, um uh, were, were uh, landed and killed and, and endangered the uh, people living in Gaza, or that uh, almost 600 rockets were launched from civilian facilities, naming them 260 from schools and 100, almost 200 from mosques and religious sites, etc. Right. None of this, even till today. Yeah,
0: of course has not. been properly reported. Malcolm Holmline with us weekly update. Yeah, I mean, the, the but you mentioned the meeting that you had this week with the UN Secretary General, and to us outsiders, it always seems that you have a pretty good relationship with him. Did he? Does he get any of this? Does he understand the the uh, inclination of these commissions to come out against Israel? Does he understand how absurd this war crime allegation is?
1: Um, look, I, and again, I don't think he, he's the bad guy here. He, you know, People like that are dependent upon the people around him, the information that he's fed. And after giving him the numbers, sort of in his response to us, he reiterated the original charges, the numbers that were killed, the, right. the question of proportionality, even though he told him that that is not what proportionality is about, or distinction, which is the, between civil casualties and military casualties. Again, these are legal terms with heavily laden. Um, but he took very heavy notes, and he said, I'm going to review everything you said, and we're preparing an extensive report to him on all the issues that we raised. Uh, uh, and He was responsive to it, I would say. Right. Uh, but, you know, you have an infrastructure at the U.N. that is completely biased and, and has a long history of, of manifesting that and bias. you
0: got to bring a big team of attorneys to these meetings, huh, basically?
1: Well, uh, frankly, we are assembling yeah. attorneys, uh, and the Lawfare Project uh, is has now four hundred lawyers, volunteer lawyers, and we have, um, you know, graduate students, law, legal law school students, and others working exactly on that. That we're preparing uh, legal documents, and and there's uh, a very important case. And uh, I don't know if you even saw it, but about the Arab Bank case in Brooklyn that opened this week no. in the federal court in Brooklyn. Tell us, this is of monumental consequence in the sense that information is coming out. The Arab Bank is charged. When having finance in 2002, um, the, the, uh, and thereafter, money to various Hamas operatives. And their names are coming out, the bank accounts, how they tied to, to Hamas, and a thing called the Saudi Committee has been revealed, which uh, was uh, transferring payments. Uh, and we will learn much more of the details. I don't want to go into all of it right now, but because it, it could have just started and we're, we're only beginning to learn, um, but they had a martyr's account. In the Saudi committee, and they don't deny it, and they say, "Well, a martyr doesn't mean that they were a terrorist; it just means that they were dead," which is obviously not the case because suicide bombers are martyrs uh, for them. And uh, the the bank, which is the headquartered in Jordan, um, is being sued by by uh, people who were hurt or killed in the families of people hurt and killed in in twenty four terrorist attacks against Israelis and others, and show that the Arab banks uh, facilitated the transfer of funds. And now they, they admit that in some cases, you know, they, were, they they generally had oversight, but in some cases they slipped up. So this is And this is happening in Brooklyn, very little coverage, and it's really significant.
0: Wow, the list of plaintiffs is extensive. I see it includes a lot of New Yorkers and New Jerseyans as well.
1: Exactly right.
0: Unbelievable. America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope. Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial. Around the world in the web, jmnam.org. I want to thank our friends at jewishworldreview.com. They have thousands of articles about what's going on in this amazing world of ours. may want to check it out before Shabbos, especially, since so many people print so many of those articles before Shabbos. Malcolm Siegel, Malcolm Honelein, weekly update here on a Friday morning, Erev Shabbos as we continue. Someone asked me about, we were talking on the plane the way back, obviously, about you know impressions of Israel, et cetera, et cetera. One of the things I... I, uh, I found funny or ironic is now the, the closeness with which Israel and Egypt are dealing with each other. I mean, essentially, Egypt is the broker of whatever ceasefire is going, to be, um, uh, is going to be reached at this point. And going forward, it looks like there's going to be, I don't know, what would you call it, mild to serious cooperation in regard to Gaza between Egypt and Israel?
1: Uh, uh, that's true, and I think it, you know when we look at the miracles of this past year, uh, the fact that CC is there and not Morsi, right. I mean, just think if Morsi, the head of the Muslim Brotherhood, had been in charge during this period, so true. How different the situation would have been, and the uh, fact that the Saudis, and there was a, a statement read at the top of the news last week uh, by from the Saudi King, in which he said there was a massacre in Gaza by Hamas, not Israel. And that in a major article that appeared in the Saudi press that said that it's no longer an average Israeli conflict when you have the the Gulf states, the UAE, the Saudi Arabia, Jordan, um, Egypt, all the PA siding with Israel. Uh, it, it says something. And the the Egyptian role here has been critical. They've kept out Qatar and Turkey despite efforts to bring them in because of their support and relationship with uh, Hamas. The um, that is a very critical change, and what they did in destroying tunnels and hopefully in restricting an ability to bring in more weapons via those tunnels, which you know were flooded uh, by that's the tunnels to Egypt right. uh, but, uh, during the period of, uh, of President Morsi.
0: So if the crossings issue is a big issue going forward, and of course Hamas seems to want to make it a very big issue, uh, is is Egypt on the same page as Israel is when it comes to the level to which those crossings should be open?
1: Uh, yes, and in fact, they may be even tougher. Look, it's a lie that there's a siege. There never was a siege. When Israel withdrew from Gaza, the, those crossings were essentially open. It was right. only after the experience that they were being abused that they put in restrictions, and the restrictions are only on dual-use items, items that can be used for military purposes. One of those items may well be cement, because we know how they abused the cement. Five hundred tons in an individual tunnel. They could have been used. Somebody did an analysis, and it showed how many facilities could have been built, how many hospitals, how many schools uh, would have been could have been built with the cement just used in the in in these tunnels. So Israel is saying no more cement unless we have assurance exactly what how its end use will be what the end use will be. But every day, are, uh, material is going in 100 trucks, 200 trucks of goods to, to Gaza. 60,000 people came from Gaza between January and May of this year for conflict. 60,000 crossing Israel, mostly medical treatment, other reasons. You don't read any of that. So there is no siege. The, the Egyptian side is a greater siege. Also, they have to watch the importation by sea, which both countries have to cooperate to, to keep an eye on. So I think... Egypt's uh, interest in, in maintaining that is is as great or, or uh, great or, or as great, I
0: should say, uh, as Israel's. So, to a degree, we have a pretty good. I got to be careful. I say this, a pretty good negotiator. Would that be the way to put it in terms of? Uh... This the ceasefire negotiation? Well, he's an
1: arbitrator in this case. Right. Uh, Supposedly so going back and forth between the two sides. And look, they're under pressure, too, internally in Egypt. As you know, Israel's not that popular, but the new regime has has really made uh, a, a difference. And And they know that these tunnels, you know, which are so... Uh, much more sophisticated than people realize. And people say to me, so why don't they just go in and bomb them? Because it's not so simple. These are very intense structures. They have rooms, they have roads, they can go around in these little motorcycles inside them. And look at the pictures of them. Uh, Governor Cuomo was there this week. Other people you see, just look at the surroundings of what what is in there. And you begin to get an idea of of how dangerous these things uh, really uh, are. And and, um, Hamas, which... Everybody says they need a victory. They have to show that they got something that they can, in order to to be able to back out of this, um, and to show the people of Gaza that there was some reason for all of this uh, price. The price, the victory will be when all the billions of dollars start pouring back in, and people, countries, mm-hmm. Europeans, and others don't put restrictions uh, on how the money uh, will be used and what what will be done there. Um, the,
0: go know, ahead. No, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Finish your thought, please.
1: No, I, I and, and the the. Uh, the long we have to look at this both in the immediate and, and in the longer term. And Israel has to see to it that, that procedures are put in place, that you're not back at the same situation six months and a year from now.
0: Yeah, it might be unrealistic, but I'm sure you're thinking that as you say it anyway. Of course. Um, I'm glad you mentioned Governor Cuomo, and I'm going to give a special shout-out to Speaker Silver, because I'm sure he had a big influence on this trip as well. And, I, and usually I would save this for later in the conversation, Malcolm, because you mentioned that we're still at day 40 of the war and the conditions are the way they are we understand how you know difficult things are but i we, we th- th- look i was there in the middle of the war and i was there this week there's a big difference a lot more calm a lot less tension plenty more movement people coming out enjoying events etc cetera, etc cetera. desperately desperately anybody in the indus- in the uh, tourism industry is looking for north american Jews not to abandon them and I and I said on the air from Israel, I've always picked up the resentment that people in Israel have when North American Jews abandon them. But this time it was anger because we're sitting in the second half of August. You know more than anybody how important this month is for the tourism industry. There, are people who live the entire year off of what they make in August. You know, depending on who they are, cab drivers, guides, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So I hope that everybody who has trips planned continues to go. It, it is not the way it was a few weeks ago. Things are. Uh, certainly a lot, you know, feel a lot more easier, not just are easier, but feel easier and feel less tense and um, you know, hopefully and on top of that, hopefully the ceasefire will last and that, you know, there'll be a measure of peace in the region, but it's so important that everybody continue to uh, put these trips on their calendar and uh, support Israel at this time I've just heard from too many people who cancelled plans, unfortunately.
1: In July tourism was down more than 20% but ho- but that's uh, magnified when you look at the hotels that had 20% occupancy. You could see pictures that beaches are empty. It's really imperative. It's a psychological thing beyond the economic and a political statement. You have to think about how does the world look at it, how does the region look at it. If they see Israel isolated, if they see the tourism industry, it's an incentive to Hamas because they know that they're causing Israel tremendous economic difficulties. When all this talk about, you know, the boycotts and the sanctions, when people say to me, so what, do they matter? Yes, they matter. It really counts. And when you hear of anybody engaging it, get busy, get on the phones. When you see uh, an analyst that uh, Michael Scheuer said, uh, you know, uh, the, uh, I drop Israel tomorrow, and making all these comments, respond to it right away. But one thing everybody can do, and that is make a commitment to visit Israel in the next six months. We're going to do a campaign in all the in Rosh Hashanah where people look at a pledge card, not to give money, but commit to go to Israel this year. It's really going to be important, and people you know, make plans now for the winter, so if they don't do it, and if people put it off, and by the way, Christian tourism seems to have continued, <laughs> and, the, and many big groups were there during this uh, this period, and for Jews, for many, I guess, it's uh, a because they figure, if we don't go now, we'll go later. I think it's very important for people to go now. This is still a safe place to go to. Uh, it has been; it was proven, thank God, the Iron Dome was so effective, Um Look at what's happening in the streets of London. Look what's happening in the streets of Paris. Look what's happening in Berlin. Look what's happening even in our own country. People, it's imperative that we send the message of our solidarity. We ran ads today in the papers in Israel thanking the Chayalim who are coming back now and those still serving because they're protecting the Jewish nation as much as the Jewish state. Yeah. And we have to remember this is our war. What does Hamas talk about in their charter? Destruction of Jews, not just Israel. The Hamas leader said, "If you see a Jew run over him or a settler, which means it tells you so much about the mentality that we're dealing with." You have the Muslim clerics in France and elsewhere making horrific statements, or the on Al Jazeera broadcast a, a Muslim guy, a, a imam from uh, Gaza on Friday using the most horrific languages uh, language. Um, And and talking about our willingness, their willingness to sacrifice two million Palestinians, not two thousand. You know, the head of former head of the Defense Intelligence Agency, not former, the outgoing, I should say, Lieutenant General Michael Flynn, said something interesting. And this is during his watch. He said, since 2004, when we had 21 Islamic terrorist groups in 18 countries, today we have 41 Islamic terrorist groups in 24 countries. You look at ISIS, you look at the power, how it mushrooms so quickly, and how it's drawing recruits from all over the world, including the United States, including Europe, the danger that it poses not just there, that they can recruit publicly in, in New Delhi and in, in London and elsewhere, that, that the, uh, their actions now spreading to other countries that we know they're in Gaza, we know that they're in other countries, and they say that they're in the United States as well. So, you know, we have to look at this in context that what Israel is fighting is the war of the West. And that's what the Prime Minister, I think, said this week, something to that effect. This is the war in the West. This is one war. And the hypocrisy that we differentiate between the war against ISIS and the war against Hamas is very evident.
0: That's why the Wall Street Journal report hurts so much, because you'd think that even the U.S., especially the U.S. would get it, that Israel's fighting the war for the West.
1: And and, and you take a group like ISIS, where you can't even fight them with sanctions, because they produce the money domestically. Now they control the oil fields. They have limited exportability, but they control the dam in Mosul, which produces the hydroelectricity, and all the income goes to them. And that- they told the workers there yesterday that if they don't uh, produce the electricity, they're not going to get paid. They don't have to work by rules. And also, look at the massive number of women that are, and, and children, male and female, that have been kidnapped and hijacked and, and used for, I won't describe the purposes, but people can understand where is the outcry? Where, where is the indignation about uh, beheading people, carrying it out? Now they're, they've occupied large parts of Iraq, large parts of Syria. They're fighting in Lebanon. They're talking about expanding. They're drawing recruits from all, all over the world. Does anybody understand how serious this is and, and, and that Israel is the front line in this battle? That's why Saudi Arabia is backing them. That's why they the, the guys on the front line, Jordan, because they understand that the outcome of this war, they want Israel to be much tougher, not softer, on, on Hamas and to do it and give them a devastating blow. Wow.
0: That's something I hope was communicated to the U.N. Secretary General.
1: Oh, We had very clear messages, and he took extensive notes, and I spoke to him afterwards, and Um, I think there will be some follow up, but again, he doesn't control.
0: Yeah, I understand. I understand. He doesn't
1: control all this infrastructure and the decisions like like the appointment of the UN commission. He said, "Look, I'm not. His is an independent agency."
0: Understood. He turns to you and says, "Hey, I'm just the UN Secretary General. Come on, I understand that." But he still
1: has to call you
0: the CEO. I I understand. Um, You mentioned uh, the streets of other cities around the world, and there's so much to talk about in the Middle East. But let's let's just do this for a minute because there's so many concerned individuals, and I'm sure you're in touch with leadership in many European countries. First of all, in terms of the U.S., uh, the, the, the horrific murder last Shabbos of Rabbi Raxan, at this point we have no idea what the circumstances were, correct?
1: Yeah, the, the, they keep saying that it's a robbery. But it looks awful, awfully simple to make that because they made that conclusion immediately, a robbery gone wrong. Right. But there's no evidence to the contrary yet. But it is under investigation, and there has to be pressure. Look at what happened, and you have these demonstrations in Minnesota. We have to keep the pressure on the police. It's not a confrontational thing. It's not not. Uh, we certainly don't want to see violence or anything. But but we can't just let it be dismissed always as you know uh, w- without the kind of thorough investigation that will will determine. And the police are there. The police, the community, and the police are working together. So hopefully, we will find out.
0: All right, uh, now to Europe. I mean. Y- you know, we're in Israel, and you know that the bookends of our trip were nefesh b'nefesh, so obviously there's a lot of sentiment on this trip to, you know, get people from around the world to move to Israel. Uh, you mentioned any European city or country, and the answer is, oh, you know, the, the Jews are finished there, and the Jews are finished there. Now, you're, you're usually not prone to, you know, drastic, uh, you know, off-the-cuff statements like that. So if we would go, in fact, slowly through the European continent, how would you describe the situation for Jews at this point?
1: I wouldn't go through it slowly. I'd go through it quickly and get out of there. But I think we have to look at this long-term, and the demographic messages are clear, let alone the disruptions, the violence, and and a government, let's say, in France that is responsive, and the prime minister who's married to a Jew is very sympathetic um, on the issue, and yet the police reaction is certainly questionable, the fact that this is happening in increasing areas uh, when you have this... A large minority, a large population of Muslims, uh, whose children are increasingly radicalized, who respond in in violent attacks, many more than are reported, and it's happening in, in Brussels or in London or in Berlin, and in in, in other places. You know, you have two hundred thousand Jews in Germany. You have four and a half million Muslims. That's what they they, they admit to. The, you have similar proportions in, in other countries. So the demographics alone. And the fact that these populations weren't integrated, the kids are increasingly radicalized, the fact that, I don't know, 800 Frenchmen are fighting in Syria now, coming back as as jihadists, That and hundreds from, from uh, more from each of the countries, so probably 300, 400 from England and Ireland, and a couple hundred, uh, 150 from Italy. All these guys are going to come back and pose a real danger. So... I don't see the steps being taken. I don't think governments are, are indifferent, but you don't see the kind of outrage that should greet this, the fact that a synagogue could be under siege and takes 20 minutes for the police to get there, and if it weren't for their JDL and the equivalent groups that are protecting the people, who knows what would have happened.
0: So today, mid-August 2014, one of the key American and world Jewish leaders is ready to say publicly to anybody living in Europe that it's time to get out.
1: You know, I've said this for, for years, i said that the situation can only go one way. You, you don't have to be a great mathematician when you look at the birth rates. And, and as a Muslim leader said to me, we don't need atomic weapons. Our nuclear weapon is demographics. And, and they recognize it. So it, I don't think that we should, you know, call for a panicked uh, exodus. I don't think that, that, you know, people are doing it. Look at all the French who are buying houses in, in Israel. How many young people, by the way, non-Jews are living Europe going to Canada, Australia, anywhere else, including the United States, because of their fear of the thing. When you walk on the streets of Miami, you hear so much French right now. And um, uh, I think that 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 is going to be a growing trend. I know Sharansky called for the Jews of Europe to leave this week. I think you have to do it carefully. I think it has to be thoughtfully done, infrastructure in place to make sure that it's successful, help them get to Israel rather than just wandering around the world again so they have to move later on um but uh, I don't think panic is the response I think there has to be greater efforts to organize and we work closely with the security operations there because we learn for the security operation we have here to deal with with threats to the Jewish community and we see increasingly that the, the threats are
0: universal a similar message as ISAS. A, a similar message to american jury or not as Pronounced and as strong as the one you just gave to your opinion. Well, you
1: don't have the same demographics and, you, and the circumstances are different, and in each country they're different. Right. I mean, there are places, I heard the president of the French Jewish community say it is uncomfortable to, to be a Jew in France today. Uh, two years ago he deb- when we had this annual debate he, he was very uh, insulted when I talked about the potential situations in France and, and other countries. So there is a change, and there are other places where Leadership is is saying, uh, I met people from a Scandinavian country now, and they said to me, listen, they've asked me to come to meet with their government leaders and others, but that we have no hope there. And that's that's the problem people are losing home they see the situation not everybody can move you have to remember you have the uh, poor populations you have people with vested interests have other things that it's not easy we all look from the outside and say just leave right. very hard when you're sitting there yep. you know it's like when you, your neighborhood changes in america people are reluctant to move even if they see the the situation because you're there you have a, your house you have your home you have your business you have other things It's not so easy, but people have to look forward, be forward-thinking about what the realities are.
0: Uh, Erdogan wins the election, right, in Turkey?
1: Yes, he stole the election. He won the election.
0: (laughs) Rumors have it that another humanitarian flotilla is going to be heading to Gaza soon. What have you heard about that?
1: Uh, Yes, not soon. So this could be just grandstanding. It could be, again, his way of trying to gain influence, as you know, that... Uh, they have tried all along to play a role. The Egyptians uh, kicked them out of uh, coming into the situation in, in Gaza. Uh, and, they, you know, the rest of the Arab world hates him and resents him, and the guy is increasingly nuts. Uh, his statements, even in the last week, comparing uh, the Israelis and by other officials uh, to, to Nazis, uh, it, it doesn't diminish whatsoever. And now that he is in an even more powerful position, he's essentially become a dictator in Turkey. Uh, I think this is uh, it's, its not something to be dismissed. Turkey is a very important country. Trade between Turkey and Israel has continued, unabated, continues, in fact, to grow. But we should not dismiss the statements that are made. And we've seen many coming, as I cited a couple from the Hamas leaders and Palestinian leaders, but... Uh, others also should not dismiss when when a uh, leader of Turkey compare Israel to the Nazis. It's a license, because you know what you do to Nazis. And the the uh, uh, the role of Turkey now, the fact that we try to bring them into the negotiations with Qatar, they were blocked in that effort because these are the guys who supported Hamas. How do you bring them in? Do You try to have them influence Hamas maybe to, to join the ceasefire or whatever, but... Can't give them a prominent role. You don't reward somebody like like uh, Erdogan.
0: I apologize. We didn't get to uh, to Maliki and some other items, which I'll hopefully do next week. But finally, Malcolm, uh, the uh, EU ban the uh, BDS uh, uh, e- efforts are supposed to uh, take effect September the first. Do you see an official European Union boycott of uh, items either from Israel or specifically from over the Green Line in the next uh, in the next couple of weeks?
1: Well, there is there is some organized efforts of that kind. Uh, uh, The governments. there are two parts uh, to this. One is the holding up of military equipment. Uh, Spain announced it, but it amounts to $6 million, so it's not much, and it's temporary. The same with Great Britain talked about, uh, potentially limiting. They haven't actually implemented it, but I think Britain's total military sales to Israel is $17 million, but it is the symbolism of it; it's the message that it sends that it legitimizes boycotts. It, it strengthens the the extremists uh, who are going around boycotting Israeli products, which are settler products. They say which really mean Israeli products, which also mean any kosher products. The fact that you had these riots and demonstrations at a, at kosher stores and looting of them uh, or destruction of them that the prime minister of France had to denounce. These are series, and, and we uh, are working to see in America, first of all, to, to, to counter the boycott, which increasingly uh, is being countered. Uh, would, they have not had great success in the United States, but that is not something we take for granted. And remember, the campuses weren't open. We haven't, they're just coming back now. We're going to see, I think, renewed activism there. And the, the use of the BDS movement, we've seen unions and other groups joining. It is, don't dismiss it, even if the economic impact immediately might be limited. The longer-term implication and the fact that this becomes an acceptable uh, expression of of uh, disagreement with Israel or discontent, this is not the intent. The intent is to destroy the economy of Israel. The intent is to break relationships. It's much more sinister than it appears sometimes on
0: the surface. And when the agriculture minister asks farmers to literally you know, separate uh, on a list the materials they use from farms over the green line, isn't that somewhat... Uh, you know, caving into this, and instead of just of course
1: it is, and it's it's ridiculous to we. I mean, should should if they stop supplying it, it, it a, if you destroy the businesses, you put tens of thousands of Palestinian out of work. Number two, this is uh, I mean humanitarian food. What what is what a, food does not represent a threat. And third, that the distinction is an excuse because many of the things that they talked about were not used there. It's like, you know, Soda Stream. you have one factory right. in Maladuim, so you have 50 other factories. They use it as, as leverage and as a means of, of penetrating uh, the economic system and, the, and Israel's economic miracle in an attempt to weaken it.
0: There you go. All right. We'll speak, please, God, next week. After all, what could happen in one week, huh, Malcolm? Yeah, nothing's quite <laughs> Have a wonderful Shabbos and thank you for joining us. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations Fridays, officially 740 Eastern Time here at JM in the AM.